Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning and happy new year. It is good to be back with you guys as we are in the second week of our series, The Kingdom Is. If you are online joining us, welcome. We are excited to have you with us this second week. If you are here for the first time, uh, we are honored and blessed to have you. May we serve you well this morning. Uh, May the Lord speak to you as you join us as we get into this week. As uh, our prayer in this series, as we kicked this off last week with Pastor Mark, is to learn more about God's kingdom, um, really its values, its virtues, and the growth of those things within our lives as those who know Christ, which makes us a citizen of His kingdom. And what we want to learn to do is to live kingdom down, not culture up. And so um, last year, though, uh, when we were around this time of the year last year, we were working through the book of Nehemiah in preparation for the Lord's leading us into the future with our campus and its ministry to all people. Um, And and we kicked off the journey at the end of February that the Lord was leading us to. And so we're coming up on our one-year mark. And um, at the end of this series, and this this series is built around us coming up to that one-year mark, and it's built in to kind of remind us of where we're going and what God is doing here on our campus to be for the kingdom. And so we want to learn about the kingdom, so that's why we have a series called The Kingdom Is. At the end of this series, at the end of February, we're going to share some exciting updates on how God has moved already within the first year uh, of us uh, starting this journey with Him and to be encouraged and where he's going to lead us into the future for his kingdom, okay? So today is learning uh, about the kingdom that is built on mercy. The kingdom is built on mercy. And I want to start in Matthew 5 and then jump from Matthew 5 uh, really to the application or a way it's applied in uh, Matthew 18. And so if you have a Bible and you want to join me in Matthew chapter 5, um, it's the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Now a little background of this text as you're turning there. What's so profound about Jesus' Beatitudes is how contrary they are to the way we view ourselves and others around uh, us and others in the world. They're counterintuitive in that they run in the opposite direction, really, of the way we typically think. But that is what the life and character of a disciple of Christ or a kingdom-minded citizen is to be. And so so Jesus in teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, as he opens the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew chapter 5, and he begins with the Beatitudes, Jesus was teaching really the radical character of those who are going to be a part of his kingdom, the kingdom. And really, if you read through the Beatitudes, and we're only going to look at just one, but if you were to study through the Beatitudes, you would notice that this really is what the kingdom is about, because this is the the characteristic and the traits of a kingdom citizen. And so I just want to kind of give you a, a, a way to study through the Beatitudes if you want to do a further study. But one way to look, and before we read the, the one verse that we're going to look at in Matthew 5, one way to think about the Beatitudes and understand the flow of them is like this. So 
So as the Beatitudes start, they talk about to be poor in spirit, that we are to mourn sin, to end rebellion, to submit in meekness. And one way you can think about that is that is the roots of a blessed life. It begins with those roots. We got to push those roots and dig those roots down in. And from there, we hunger and thirst for God and His righteousness. We do right things by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within us. And those are the green shoots of new life, that, that out of the roots that we just pushed in, and we have these green shoots of new life. Now, the flesh, our flesh, could never produce this. But where the roots of God's redeeming work are planted within our souls, new life begins to grow. And the work that grows out of, of that, in that new life is what we call the fruit, the fruit of mercy, the fruit of purity, the fruit of peace. Now, think about that. Imagine how blessed our lives would be if we were to see that fruit growing and being produced in and through our lives every day. Mercy, compassion, purity, peace flowing. So that's one way for you if you want to dig into a really great study here at the beginning of a new year, the Beatitudes, the, the kingdom attributes of a citizen of the kingdom is a, is a great study. But I just want to look at verse 7 as we're talking about mercy today because the kingdom of God is built on mercy. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it, and it prompts a first question. We're going to answer a couple of questions today about mercy. How does, how, how does one have a heart for mercy? This is where it really begins. How does one have a heart for mercy? And mercy, the mercy that God blesses is itself the blessing of God. The mercy that God blesses, it's itself the blessing of God. Meaning, it grows up like fruit, as I just mentioned, in a humble heart, in a meek spirit, in a soul that hungers and thirsts for God to be merciful. So, so here's the tagline, and you're going to hear me say this a lot this morning so that we grab onto this. Mercy comes from mercy. Profound, I know, right? Wow, how did you get that? It took me all week. Mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. So we think again, we get right vertically so that we can be right horizontally. So God's mercy comes to us so that it may move out of us into the lives of those around us. The kingdom of God is built on mercy to us. And the kingdom of God expands as that mercy flows out of us. And the key to becoming a merciful person is to become a humble person. Is to have a humble posture in life. But we get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in our heart and, and in our soul that we owe everything, everything that we are and that we have to sheer divine mercy. So if we want to become a merciful person, to, to have a, a merciful heart to care for others with mercy, to show mercy to others, it's imperative, it's critical that you and I cultivate a view of God and ourselves that helps us to say with all of our heart that every joy and virtue of our lives is owing to the free and undeserved mercy of God. And that produces a heart of mercy. Now, we ask the question, well, what then is mercy? If that is the heart of mercy, what is mercy? And for that 
We're going to use the scriptures to help us get a better understanding of mercy. We're going to go on a little Bible adventure this morning, and I'm going to encourage you to not try to, to, not try and flip to every one of these references of Scripture, but maybe just make a note if you want to go back at some point and dig into them, because we're going to look at several different texts to see mercy really at work uh, in the lives of others and through the life of Jesus. The very first place that we would look would be Luke 10. The Good Samaritan. You may be familiar with that story or that parable. A quick synopsis is that there was a man on a journey. And on this journey he was attacked and he was robbed and he was beaten and he was left for dead. There was another traveler who was passing by who just saw the man in need and continued on his way. There was another person passing by who again saw the man in need and just continued on his way. But then Jesus says in Luke 10... Verses 33 and 34, he says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. At the end of the story of the Good Samaritan, in verses 36 and 37, Jesus ask a question of his disciples and those who were listening. He said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Seemed pretty obvious, right? Verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He saw, and then there was an action. This parable is about mercy. And you see mercy here defined really or shown to us really in two ways. First, there's what? A tenderness of heart. How can you have a tenderness of heart? If you're humble. A proud heart isn't tender. It's hard. But a humble heart is tender. That tenderness of heart, we might say it's compassion, leads us to action. The second piece of mercy is action. What happened? So in verse 33, he says he saw him And he had compassion. Then in verse 34, it led to action where he bound up the wounds, took him to an inn, and paid for the services. And this isn't just something that Jesus is teaching that he doesn't have himself. We see mercy as the character of God, right? So God is merciful. So if we go back into the Old Testament, Moses on Mount Sinai. When God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, he revealed himself in in a four-part description which we see repeated throughout the Old Testament. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You want a a verse to memorize? That's a verse. Understand this is who God is. Not because we've defined him like that, because he defines himself as a God that is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's a God who's tenderhearted. He's a God who cares. He's a God who acts for our good. And we see this, again, taught, displayed all throughout the whole Bible. So the theme of God's mercy is seen, both mercy and love, even in our rebellion, we see it. Ephesians, if you jump back into the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 4 and 7, Paul writes this, which we're going to study the book of Ephesians after Easter this year. That's going to be a book study that we start in April. But Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, but God, where's this come from? Being rich in mercy. Where do you think Paul learned that from? What does God just say about himself? He was what? Merciful. God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Because of those two things coming together, here's what we receive. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were rebellious. What does he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jump back to the Old Testament again. His mercy is forever. David says in Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, right? Verse 6, surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jump back to the New Testament, Titus, verse, chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy, again, Paul says in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. That's, that's us. That's our lives, rebellious Blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. That's us, rebellious, sinful. But I, that's a beautiful four-word phrase, right? But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews, which we finished that study last fall, you might recall zooms in on the mercy of Christ. Hebrews 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus Christ. In Christ, God says to us in Hebrews 8, verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God chooses not to remember. And when we know that Christ is our merciful high priest, we will come to him. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may, what? Receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see the theme that God is merciful. It's a characteristic. It's a trait Jesus shows it in action. In Jesus' interaction with Peter, the apostle Peter. Jesus says this to Peter in John 13, 38. He said, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
And so Jesus says, Peter, you're going to fail in a spectacular fashion. Like, it's going to be the mother of all mess-ups. It will leave you wondering, how in the world did I end up doing that? You ever been there? That's why we can relate to Peter. We can connect with Peter. Then Jesus says this, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, the first part. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. See, Peter's faith does not fail. His testimony failed. He denied Christ in his testimony, but his faith could not live with that denial. See, Peter's faith produced a repentance. And he says, he says to Jesus in John 21, at the end of the book of John, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. This is after, after he had jumped out of his boat and he had swam all the way back to shore because Jesus was there cooking them breakfast. And he has this moment... This restoration moment, he swims all the way back, and Jesus asks him three questions, and each time he's like, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him in John 21, 17, feed my sheep. Here, mercy means failure, does not have the last word. Because Jesus restores, he redeems, he sets us back on our path. Jesus to Thomas. Thomas is a, 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 an apostle, he's a disciple, he's a, a man in spiritual leadership here. But his faith is not in great shape. There's unanswered questions, there's doubts. Maybe you've experienced that, maybe you are experiencing that. There's doubt piling up and, and, and it's, you know, it's really doing a number on him and he must have felt like he was just kind of slipping away from, from Christ and the faith. But Jesus never lets his children go. And he comes to Thomas in John 20, verse 27. And he said to him, said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And this was Thomas's response in verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. See, I believe the risen Christ can draw near to you today and, and bring you like Thomas, to a place where in a whole new way, you'll look up to him and say, my Lord and my God, because he's merciful. Mercy is being able to see a need or distress. That was, that's us. That's our story. It's being able, in seeing that, we feel compassion. That's God. And in feeling that compassion, there's, there's an act, there's a performance of relief which is Jesus on the cross through the grave in the power of the resurrection, even to someone who may be an enemy, which we were. And we see Jesus do that over and over. So that's mercy. That's mercy at work. So now how do we, how do we show it? How do you and I show mercy? Let me give just a few ways. This is not an exhaustive list. And really, throughout our lives, it's going to be the Holy Spirit leading us in moments and times of mercy. But maybe here's some real life ways we can live as a kingdom citizen to show mercy to others as we understand how it works within our own lives, as we just saw throughout those texts, and we see how it can work through us. The first one would be within some spiritual struggles that a 
person may be having. Jude 22 in the New Testament says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Remember Thomas? God calls us to have a tender heart. We have a tender heart through our own posture of humility. He says, have a tender heart between brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling in their faith. We know through our study of Scripture that Jesus does not break the bruised reed. And so for us, it's to say, Lord, help me. Help me. Save me from being hard and demanding. Make me tender towards others, sensitive to the loads that they may be bearing, and faithful in bringing help as Jesus is faithful to me. And we've said this before, you're never going to look in the face of another person who isn't battling something. And if we really, really let that sink in as, as citizens of the kingdom, and we understand that this is an attribute of Christ, this is shown to us, and we are made in His image and then re- remade in His image in the, in the fullness of who Christ is, then then we are there to show mercy, to help and have mercy on those who doubt. There's freedom there. Another way would be in simple material ways. Those who need material needs and to be met. 1 John 3.17, John writes, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Does that sound familiar to the Good Samaritan story? That there were two people that passed the Good Samaritan, or passed the person on the side of the road who needed help. But then Jesus says, Go and be like the one who stopped. You see how these are coming together? There's compassion, there's action. The Good Samaritan opened his heart to a person in need and did something to help him. So, mercy then for us is getting down on our hands and knees and doing something to help restore dignity, value, worth to someone whose life has been broken by sin. Or the world. Another way is showing mercy to those who are lost and don't believe. We've been found to find. You've heard that before probably. Jude 23. He says, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Show mercy with fear. He's, he's saying don't get trapped by the evil that the person that you're trying to save is fighting. See, if we have mercy, we will speak to Jesus about lost people. And we will speak to lost people about Jesus. And let's not overthink that. Let's not overcomplicate that. Let's not think we've got to memorize all the Scriptures and we've got to put the whole Bible within our, within our mind to be able to do that. Let's not, let's not make it harder and make it layered. It's about, it's about telling them about the one who saved. It's like one beggar telling another beggar where I found food. If we're going to show mercy, if we're going to have mercy at work within us, we're going to speak to Jesus about lost people. I mean, we're going to pray for them and we're going to speak to lost people about Jesus. A merciful heart that cares and acts for the good of others will care deeply about people without Christ and then will act by sharing the gospel. You look back at verse 7 of Matthew 5, our 
beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so there's a question that comes up, and I don't want to skip past this, about salvation and mercy. Will only merciful people find mercy from God in the day of judgment? If salvation is by grace through faith, it seems contradictory. And when you read the verse, in other words, it seems like, man, in the age to come, when we meet God face to face, the people who will receive mercy are only those of Him who have shown mercy, right? Is, is this a salvation by works text, I guess, is the question that comes up. Do we earn His mercy by showing mercy? And the answer is no. Because an earned mercy would be a contradiction of terms. If mercy is earned, it's not mercy, it's a wage. Everything good at the judgment will be mercy, I promise you, 100% mercy. And we act out of that mercy. Mercy comes from mercy. Now, if you have your Bible there, if you want to jump to Matthew 18, let me wrap it up with this parable and show this principle at work in one other way. Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. A little bit of background. There's an interaction that happens with Jesus and the disciples. And Peter asked Jesus in the verses prior to this, how many times must I forgive my brother? And Jesus, you know, gives him that response, that 70 times 70, right? And then he goes into this parable, starting in verse 23. Therefore... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When we began to settle, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all that he had and payment to be made, verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Let's pause there for a second. So here's where we get the kingdom is like, as Jesus teaches that. And that will be what this series will be, is where Jesus says the kingdom is like this, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's unimaginable, right? There's, there's nothing like it in the earthly setup, right? Now, now, there is a connection here in this parable between forgiveness and mercy. A lot of times this parable is taught, used to teach on the principle of forgiveness, but we're going to see how these are running together, right? And, and just so you know, this parable is an exaggerated, parable. And you're going to see that as I give a few more details about how Jesus set this parable up. It's an exaggerated parable to teach about a life-changing principle. All right? And in verse 24, he talks about, you know, he brings this, this guy in who has, has a debt to pay, and, and the debt is 10,000 talents. Now, now, scholars and commentators and, and those who study, you know, the first century and the way talents and what they were, one talent is said to was been worth 20 years wages. Some, some have said this number would have been equal to, in our day, $10 billion, Okay? $10 billion. The point is, the point is, the debt was unpayable. The debt was unpayable. There was no way for this servant to pay the debt back. All, we all owe an unpayable debt to God. He could not pay it. Now, people have done things to us 
and they cannot pay the debt of the things they have done. There is no way they could ever repay the debt that they have created in the hurt and the pain and the wrong they have done to us. And in verse 25, he says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered that this to happen so that payment would be made. And the idea is that you'd lose everything in trying to repay life, family, everything. And so the servant falls on his knees because he has a moment, right? A moment of awakening, an epiphany, if you will, a, a, a realization that this is real, this is happening. I am, I am, I'm unable to take care of this. And he implores the king to have patience, I will pay you everything. But, but we know that's outrageous because, because we know how much it was. We know that even him saying that, it was outrageous to say, right? He couldn't. And the truth is, seldom if ever does the person who hurts or sins against us rightly calculate what they owe, including you and me. None of us truly estimate the impact of our failures and shortcomings on others and others against us because it seems that we always lean toward it's not that bad, it's not that big of a deal instead of I've really, really hurt you. Matthew 18, verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. An unbelievable move by the master, by the king. He released and forgave. Two connected actions. Mercy and forgiveness. I don't hold you indebted anymore. My hands are free now to be open, to hold on to greater things. Jesus, think about that. When you and I act upon those who have made hurt or brought hurt against us, and we act with that mercy and forgiveness, instead of holding on to that unforgiveness, that, that, that mercy that we're not willing to give up, when we release that, our hands are what? They're open now to do what? To hold on to something greater, something eternal, something that comforts Jesus. It's a monumental moment for this man, for this servant. It's life-changing, it's life-defining, it's unbelievable. This is us with the King. Now, hopefully you're making a connection that we are the servant and... Jesus is the king, right? Keep going, verses 28 to 30. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar, right? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. A hundred denarii. It's like $20. A debt that could be paid, right? But in this moment, this servant who had just been forgiven breaks down, physically, mentally breaks down. That's, that, that's the, the work of unforgiveness has that effect on us. Lack of mercy has that effect on us. And his heart had not changed. There was no posture of humility in that moment which we thought he would have received when he had that, that moment with the king and the servant that he would have been just overwhelmed and humbled. 
He was not impacted by that mercy and that forgiveness from the king. And as we read these verses, we're shocked. We're shocked because we know what came first. Here's what happened. His actions in this moment did not align with his status. His status was free. There's no evidence here of knowing and receiving that mercy and forgiveness. That's a scary place to be. As a Christian, as a citizen of the kingdom, it's a scary place for you and I to be. That if we have no, no evidence, if we have no recollection, if, we have no, not, if that's not working in our lives every day, that God wakes us up and gives us a life in front of us for that day, that His mercy and forgiveness is with us and has been for us, it's a scary place to be. It's so, much, it's so easy in that way to be heart of heart. And to act like this servant did with his fellow servant. Matthew 18 verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. They were disturbed by this action. Now, we all would have been if we would have saw that happening in others. Like if you and I would have witnessed what just took place within this parable, we would have been disturbed by that. But strangely, we become blind when it's our own heart. Mercy comes from mercy. Verse 32 through 34. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Here's where it is. Verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. In verse 32, we see he's a wicked servant. He's no longer a forgiven servant. He's now a wicked servant. All that debt, everything was paid. All our debt, everything Jesus paid. Everything. And he says, shouldn't you have had mercy? Verse 33, ask the question. And you and I look at this and go, yes. The answer is yes, because mercy comes from mercy. Forgiveness comes from being forgiven. It begins with kingdom mercy. That sets us free that we can show kingdom mercy to others. And again, having mercy is not getting what we deserve. Was shown to us so that we may show it. We've been forgiven so that you and I might walk in in a dimension of forgiveness with others. Loved to love others. It's a very freeing place to be. It's what we want all people to experience as they experience the love and salvation of Jesus Christ. Which is why God led us into a campaign to finish out His campus to minister to all people. And in verse 34, He put him in jail until he can pay his debt. He'll never be able to pay that. He'll be forever in prison, suffering. And He chose that. You see, that's that's the thing. We choose that. God offers us freely the invitation to receive mercy and forgiveness. We saw it over and over in Scripture as we walked through those. That is who God is. He, he is. he is gracious. He is merciful. He's slow to anger. And He's abounding in love, steadfast and faithful. 
And he offers it, but we choose. Sometimes we choose to imprison ourselves. Look what Jesus says in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's the big points, the crescendo, right? We're all in this, every one of us. Listen, mercy comes from mercy. Notice the sequence of the story. The sequence of the parable. King to servant, servant to servant. Vertically, outward. The kingdom is built on mercy. In our lives as citizens of that kingdom, we have received a mercy that we do not deserve. A forgiveness and a grace that is freely given, but paid by the ultimate price, the life and death of King Jesus, the King of the kingdom. But in His resurrection victory, He brings with Him the ability to extend ultimate mercy, eternal mercy, grace, and forgiveness, because He is the King of the kingdom. And He invites you into His mercy and His forgiveness. Maybe you've messed up like Peter. Maybe you have doubts like Thomas. Maybe you feel beaten and bruised like the man on Jericho, on the Jericho road. And you find it hard to maybe let anyone close. You need to have no fear in Jesus. He is a merciful high priest. He knows and he understands and he loves you. Grab his outstretched hand today. My hope, my hope is that today you and I as citizens of the kingdom will understand that we are to be merciful because we've received mercy. And may you and I proclaim all the days of our lives, Psalm 23, 6, one more time. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, it's overwhelming each time we open your word to see the work and the grace and the action toward us when we were undeserving. That you are consistent, you're unchangeable, immovable, that you are gracious and merciful, you are slow to anger and you are abounding in, in love, steadfast and faithful love towards us. God, may everyone here and even watching online have that moment, that encounter, maybe for some for the very first time where they realize your mercy is before them. Where they understand, where they have the, the moment of, I need his mercy. I need to be able to let go of the things that are tying me down, that are chaining me, that are bonding me. I need to stop believing the lies of the, of the evil one, of the devil. I need to stop Stop chasing after the things of the world. I need to stop letting the flesh and the desires of the flesh lead my life. I need, to, I need to overcome those things, but I can't. And I need to let go of those things, but I can't. But I need, I need Jesus, and I need, to let, I need to let Him be what I hold on to. God, let that be a work Your Spirit brings into the heart and the minds of every person. We, we have received mercy so that we can be merciful. Because, God, we know that if we to live our lives collectively in unity, 
with mercy, grace, and forgiveness, the world around us changes. The lives around us change. Our lives change. God, I pray right now, if someone needs to run and come to you right now, that they do. They come to you in prayer. They confess. They believe in Jesus Christ as your Son and our Savior who died, who rose, who ascended, who's coming back. And I trust, God, in that prayer, as they receive that invitation, that you will save. For your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.